Today on the show, we have Harry Lee and Ben Powell, two collaborators on a project, Abarso, which is a documentary. I knew about this story that I thought was so important that it had to be shared. You know, no one else is going to do it. I, you know, I better take this opportunity right now. When you're shooting a documentary, I mean, you have no idea how things are going to play out. You just have to roll camera and hope that things unfold the way you kind of envision them unfolding. Media on the Radio is a podcast that features conversations with media professionals. Everyone from creators of media to those who do the marketing and distribution. This is Devin Gallagher, host of Media on the Radio, and thanks for listening. Starting with Harry, if you could just talk a little bit about your college career. I think at that point I was really interested in development. I wanted to go off to a developing country and do some sort of impactful work. Born in Africa, I lived in Africa as a kid, and I think I've always wanted to go back after, you know, largely growing up in the U.S., in Virginia. And so that that was always the general plan. Um, and I certainly, you know, I've always been a lover of, of films and documentaries and stories in general, but I'd never once really pictured myself making something like this. Ben, you went to school for music, is that right? I took piano lessons my whole life, ever since I was a little kid, like around four, is when I started taking piano lessons. And um, by the time I got into high school, it's when I started uh, really enjoying playing music and writing music, and I got into a band and stuff like that. So when the time came to go to college, I kind of made a decision. It was a very um, split split path um, type situation. So I, I was accepted into Virginia Tech's engineering school, and I was accepted into James Madison University's music school. And at that time, I chose music. I really, like, if I had to choose a career at that point, it would have been rock star, for sure. Uh, <laughs> Still yeah. on the table. Oh, yeah. yeah, right. So, Harry, did you do any development work or education work? You know, back in 2010, I had been coming off about a year and a half of doing government-focused work and really just decided at that point in my life, like, I need to get out of here. I need to go and actually do what I really want to do. Uh, go back to Africa and, and pursue some sort of development project that I would be really passionate about. And that's when I first heard about Obarso and about Jonathan Starr and, and what so. he had started over there. The school was started by a man named Jonathan Starr, who's this uh, f- former hedge fund manager. He's you know, really kind of a finance prodigy he was running his own hedge fund by the age of 28, and he shut down his, his fund And when he was about 30 years old, decided that he wanted to move to northern Somalia and start this charitable boarding school. Uh, and so, you know, when I, when I read about that online, when I first heard about the school, I just, you know, I just had to learn more. Um, he started it in 2009, and... I was looking for something like that in the summer of 2010. So it just kind of lined up well. It seemed like an opportunity to help build something, you know, be involved in something uh, from from the ground floor. And, you know, I think to me that was a little bit more appealing than going into a government agency with, you know, thousands of other people where, you know, you don't have as much control or, or input in some cases. What sets the school apart from other schools that are in Somalia? I think, first of all, just to give it some perspective, the level of education in the country is, unfortunately, 
you know, one of the worst in the world. I mean, you're talking about a place that has been considered the number one failed state for six out of the last seven years. In particular, in, in northern Somalia, it's a it's a really unique situation. It's it's an internationally unrecognized but self-declared independent country. So you have this autonomous state that's self-governed and it's operating with kind of the, the distant relationship with the South. In the late 80s, early 90s, Somalia went through a genocide, mass exodus, and civil war that really reshaped the entire country. You know, back in the 70s, Mogadishu was seen as one of the best and brightest cities in Africa. And now it's, you know, in a lot of ways, a disaster. Somali land, which is the, the area the school is located in, you know, eventually declared their independence. And uh, they've been, you know, a much more stable part of the country. But it had been over 30 years since any Somali students had gotten scholarships to American universities. And that's kind of what he was setting out to try to change. Ben, you do a, a fair amount of freelance in the D.C. area. Can you talk about the evolution of getting into shooting and editing video? I uh, was trying to do the whole rock star thing, being in bands and stuff. And when you're in an independent band, there's a very do-it-yourself mentality to everything you do. And so it worked well with me. You know, I went to school for music industry. We recorded our own albums, all that good stuff. And so when the time came to do a music video, it just seemed rather than pay someone else to do the music video, I should just buy a camera and do it myself. So it was kind of trial by fire. I bought it. I, you know, used what little money I had, bought a camera and um, just went and did it. But I found that the skills I learned doing music production translated very well into uh, video editing. Now, there's still a steep learning curve in regards to all the technical aspects of shooting, you know, composition, lighting, exposure, movement in frame, all that stuff. But, you know, at the time, DSLRs had just become the number one indie filmmaking tool. So I had a DSLR, and because I had that, I started taking photos, too. And honestly, taking photos really, really helped me learn the craft of video shooting, um, shooting film. And I started getting more comfortable. Friends would ask me to do uh, their music videos. And then as other friends from college and other places started climbing the ladder at their various jobs, you know, they knew that I shot video and then they just asked would start asking me to do stuff and then once you get in with a marketing agency or then they just keep giving you work as long as you are reliable and do good work and meet their price points and that's how I got into it and then it just kind of steamrolled from there I, I also think it's important to know that you know the path that Ben took to kind of build this new career uh, you know, he's entirely self-taught. He learned all of this stuff, uh, you know, really kind of used the internet as his textbooks. And he was kind of his own professor, you know, issuing film school. And so I do think, you know, he mentions that there's some luck and relationships and things like that too, but he really kind of learned all this on his own and really kind of built, built a lot of skills that people tend to pay a lot of money to acquire over years. Yeah, I think that's true. And I, I know that musicians tend to make good editors with rhythm and pacing and, okay, there's something here now, and then we're going to show you something else. All of that stuff has to do with music composition as well. So it's kind of similar. Even choreography, I know, a choreographer that picked up video editing very quickly. When did you call yourself professional when i started making more money 
from the video work than from my music stuff. That's when I started considering myself a video guy or a freelance media production guy rather than a musician who happens to do some video. Do you know what might have shifted it to make that happen? To um, I guess it's when people pay you decent money to produce work that the general that they're going to release to the general public to help them accomplish whatever their goal is as a business or as a um, whatever the case may be. Um, that's when it feels like you're doing work professionally because you're you're trying to interpret someone else's vision and perform a task for someone else in exchange for for money. So it's not for me anymore. It's for someone else. And that's when it really feels like a profession. It's funny. Talk to people that when they embark on a documentary project, they say, yeah, all, all we need to do is shoot some interviews and, and cut it together. And that's not too hard. What what was your perspective before you entered into the project and what you, what your, what you thought it was going to be and then what it became? For me, it was much more that I just... I knew about this story that I thought was so important that it had to be shared. You know, no one else is going to do it. I, you know, I better take this opportunity right now. You know, I've lived this part of this story for years before we embarked on the documentary. I had such a deep understanding of, of a lot of the drama behind the story, of, of the significance of what's happening here. You know, they're finding out whether they're getting into an American school, something that hasn't been done in their country in 30 years, probably the most important moment of their life. And, you know, we're standing in front of them with cameras and kind of, you know, and it's, I think, with some of them in their most vulnerable moments, you know, kind of being there to record it as opposed to being there to support them. I, I think that was really, it was really difficult and I think it, um, you know, gives you a real appreciation for what it takes to tell these stories sometimes. Wow. And Ben, how did you feel? You you were the shooter. How did you feel in those moments capturing those reactions? Coming from the world of corporate video and music videos, where everything is pre-planned down to a T, right? So, you know, you get to cast people who you think is going to fit whatever role you're trying to, to tell and... You get, you get a lot of control. And when you're shooting a documentary, you don't get that kind of control. I mean, you have no idea how things are going to play out. You just have to roll camera and hope that things unfold the way you kind of envision them unfolding. And when those difficult situations come around, it is kind of awkward. Um, you know, you, especially in this situation when you know that you're just these are just kids. And I can remember some times that I hadn't, of course, let me preface this with what I went through as a teenager, teenager is not... Anything comparable to what these, to how these kids live their lives, but they're you know they're personal moments, and you, the last thing you want is a camera there, and you know the kids had some showed some reluctance, and then you get to know some of the teachers, and they are protective over the kids, and it's tough to fight through that feeling that of trying to respect their privacy and just push through that and get your camera in their face and just keep rolling. It is hard. It is hard. It, it tests the real significance of the story. It, it sort of, it makes you remember why you're doing this. And to us, it's it's to share, you know, these students' kind of extreme situations that, that most American kids don't have to go through. Certainly before we started this, we, we really wanted to make sure they understood not just what the process would mean 
in terms of you know getting the being there for these intimate moments whether they're good or bad they agreed because they also think it's important to that other people see their story i was lucky enough to watch the 16 minute sizzler trailer um, and i have to say it was beautifully shot ben and then this the story that kind of unfolded even in those 16 minutes i was just watching it and was like oh this is really cool this is captivating just to see that the the actual places where they go to school kind of run down um there's flies on them all the time just everywhere and you can tell that they understand the pressure that's on them as you said that uh, i think that they might be the future leaders of somalia potentially if they get into school at harvard or somewhere like that and i actually i have to say i cried at, at the one point where i was like wow i did not expect to cry just watching this vimeo video on my laptop sitting on my couch but it was really it really had an impact even from those 60 minutes so i'm very excited to see you know what's going to kind of unfold in a longer piece um talk a little bit about the process of just coming up with the characters and how you manifest the stuff that happens on screen it was interesting because like harry being such an expert having taught at the school for years and knowing all the kids when harry and i first started the planning process we kind of he kind of listed out a few of these kids who we thought would be good characters. And in my mind, I would take those characters and I would kind of like pre-plan how I think the movie could go, what could could happen, because this kid might get in, this kid might not, this kid's aspirations are X, this kid's aspirations are Y, and how they play together. And then you go with this plan and you go and you meet these kids and all of a sudden you realize, well, actually, they don't want to do what you thought they wanted to do. They actually want to be whatever, a pro athlete or something, which doesn't necessarily play into the story we're trying to tell. We are um, kind of, I don't want to say scrambling, but but really just we kind of changed our plan of attack and started interviewing a bunch of kids, just just talking to a lot, anyone we could talk to and learning about them. And then so the characters that we ended up following, only two of them are the original ones we had talked about following. And the reality is that at a school like this, you know, these kids are, are orphans and nomads and refugees and, you know, farmers and some are homeless. Like, it, all of these kids have incredible stories. You know, you, you could pick a kid at random and, and he or she's going to have something that most Americans have never ever witnessed in their life. Something that we couldn't anticipate either was how comfortable some kids were going to feel on film. And it, that, to me, was really fascinating because I had known these kids for four years at that point, and some of the most talkative students would really clam up when put on camera. Uh, and some of the much more reserved kids just felt comfortable and just opened up with That's us. That's true, and, yeah. No one ever asked me before. Yeah. Exactly. Right? <laughs> and so when they're applying to American universities, it's not just their own lives that are going to be changed by this, but they're really hoping to enact so much more development in the future. It's kind of our job to put in perspective how much is riding on these decisions. Um, you know, it's so much more than just where these kids are going to be next year. Um, and I think in some ways that's part of what makes Jonathan a really interesting person that he never shies away from telling these students how important all this is. My dad is a um, family therapist and he quotes this uh, this study all the time where they studied these really poor 
people from Philadelphia, I think, and they they said, here's the trajectory. These there doesn't look good. Outlook not good for these individuals. Forty years later, they were all doctors and lawyers and really successful. And they asked them why, and it was all the, all going back to this one teacher that they had in sixth grade that they all had. And this one teacher had a huge influence on all of these people. It is in- incredible how you can have just one person influencing so many others. Um, and, and I really do think that's that's kind of what we have here. How do you measure the intelligence or the or where people are coming in in terms of their education if there's so little education? They probably had on average about a third grade primary school math level. English for them is also typically their third language. Honestly, it really brings up a lot of interesting questions about the nature of intelligence and you know the, what is just kind of innate and, and what's uh, learned and, and what's based on your environment. Kate Grinling, who's a documentary filmmaker, works in television. She was on the podcast. What was her role and how did you get involved, the three of you? Is, is that the team, the, the core team? Yes, exactly. Um, so Kate Grinling and I actually went to middle school together. In seventh grade, we just made this pact that 15 <laughs> years later, if one of us is making a documentary, we're going to do this together. So you um, did know about it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Kate just happened to be um, you know, put in touch with us through a mutual friend. Um, we learned about her documentary experience on capturing Oswald and her experience in TV and when Ben and I were probably about six months into this project, uh, we started talking to Kate um, largely just to get some advice here and there, to get some pointers. Um, she was really generous with her time. And then I think as she learned more and more about the project, it really piqued her interest. And the three of us started to communicate a little bit more, more frequently, and it just seemed like uh, the kind of project she really wanted to dive into headfirst. And um, you know, for anyone who works with Kate, you know that she, when she gets involved <laughs> in anything, it's it's a hundred percent. So, right. Right. I think totally. this completely worked for her. Cool. Where is the project now? Based on the advice of some industry professionals that we've spoken to. We're in the process of looking for a, an editor outside our team. So the sizzle reel you watched and stuff was edited in-house by me and Harry and Harry's brother. But um, we are looking for an outside editor, editor to provide a fresh set of eyes and a unique perspective on the story. Because as close as Harry was to the story when we first started, I was able to take what Harry was telling me and shape it into a story that made sense to me as an outsider. But then after working on the movie for two years, I now have a very insider view of mm-hmm. our footage and what we've got. So it's very helpful to have a third set of eyes to kind of take what we've captured and, and interpret it in a way that makes sense to them. Having done two feature-length documentaries, I got really lucky with the last two editors I've worked with. They really understood the project, interpreted it. And that's what you want from an editor. You want them to, to yeah, really to add it. value. To right. Absolutely. Right? So, so what was your process like when you were talking to editors and, and trying to find the right person. The last project we worked on was Kandahar Journals, which we had worked, talk about being inside, we had worked for about four years on the project. I'm a good technical editor, and I think I'm a good storyteller. And if the story was there for us to figure out, we would have found it, you know. 
and we were definitely in too deep. And so you got to strike a balance with somebody that's willing to take some risks with somebody that is is professional enough and fast enough to to do what they say they can do. You don't necessarily want someone to just clean up your version of the of the project. They need to bring something new to it. The first documentary I made was Married in Spandex, and our editor was involved from the beginning. We would meet at coffee shop because it was my wife and I made it, and it was our first film. And she would tell us like a list of things to do, and we would just go do them. Like we just did yeah. whatever she said, <laughs> and that seemed to work out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so then, what was interesting too is. We had in mind a vision and a vision statement. We kept saying that. And our editor kept saying, what you're saying the film is, isn't here. And so having even a come to Jesus moment with that and maybe do some more shooting or figure out how to how to craft it and how to pull, pull it together. But yeah, the editing is everything as far as I'm concerned. Do you have any expectation of release or you're just working on the post-production now? After about two years, I've started to learn my lesson about estimating our <laughs> release date. This is obviously an inter- international story and what's going on right now uh, recently. I think it's definitely extremely relevant. It's been really fascinating for, for us to view the story through all sorts of these different lenses as um, you know current events progress. And Ben and I talked so much uh, in, with Kate about when the when the migrant crisis across the Mediterranean first came into light in the news, that's the alternative for these kids. For so many of these Abarso students, they have brothers and, and sisters who felt like they had no viable future in the country, no opportunities. And so they do this dangerous trek across Africa to Libya, people trying to kidnap them to hold them for ransom and traveling across the Mediterranean when they can't swim and, you know, in the middle of the night. And that's what is on the table for a lot of these these people. And so, you know, given the current political climate in the U.S., um, when U.S. relations with the rest of the, the Muslim world are, you know, incredibly strained, the Barso is really the story about this American guy who goes off to what's essentially a hundred percent Muslim country to start a school with other Americans, and then sends these devout Muslim kids to America to study so that they can, you know, have this cultural exchange and it's this success story. Yeah, that's great. That's a great summary. That was my conversation with Harry Lee and Ben Powell. It was recorded at Arlington Independent Media. Follow me on facebook.com backslash media on the radio or join the conversation on Twitter at media on radio. This is Devin Gallagher, host of media on the radio. And thanks for listening. <laughs>